When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates Northbrook, Illinois. It's Thursday, April 8th, and it's time to get into the NFL Draft. We'll do that on the show with Dane Brugler of The Athletic, and we'll talk about Sam Darnold and a fresh start to the Carolina Panthers. I'm Jeff Schwartz, and this is Jeff Schwartz. It's smarter than you. Welcome aboard, everyone. Hope you've had a great week. We're going to have a great show for you. We're going to get into the NFL Draft for the first time with Dane Brugler of The Athletic. Well worth the listen as we go over mostly the offensive guys. It's a very offensive-heavy draft. Quarterbacks. Wide receivers, offensive linemen. We'll talk uh, everything about those positions and get you ready for the draft and your favorite team and where they should draft. But before we do that, Sam Darnold, former top pick, first-round pick of the Jets, gets traded to the Carolina Panthers for three draft picks as the Panthers are moving on from Teddy Bridgewater. And a couple of things here. Um, one, let's start with the Panthers. Great trade for them. I love the trade. We'll get into that in just a second. But... What I do not understand is what they're doing, what they did last year at quarterback. I said last year they should just tank for Trevor Lawrence. They were not going to be good last season, right? New coach, new everything, new, newish owner, new general manager. It was all new. They should have sucked, got themselves a top five pick this year, and they would have had the choice of one of the top five quarterbacks. Instead, they weirdly signed Teddy Bridgewater to a three-year deal of close to $90 million. Made no sense to me. The only connection was Joe Brady 
the the New Panthers OC had coached Teddy Bridgewater in 2018 when he was with the Saints. But again, it just did not make sense to spend that much money on a quarterback. So now they've got rid of that problem, I guess, with Sam Darnold, but they still have to get rid of Teddy Bridgewater. So it's it's a very, it was odd what they were doing, but they corrected that problem with Sam Darnold. And Sam Darnold now becomes their quarterback for the next two years. They picked up his fifth-year option. And the thing about Sam Darnold that I think it's fair to say is that he's underachieved relative to his draft position. But, but, with Adam Gase being his coach, it is worth our time and energy to wait on him to see if a new coach in head coach Matt Rule of the Panthers and Joe Brady, the offensive coordinator of the Panthers, if being on a competent team with weapons at wide receiver, with a young offensive line, something needs to get better, with just a competent staff, with a young defense, they drafted seven guys last year on defense. Um, uh, you know, Jeremy Chin last year was a, a runner up for rookie of the year. Uh, so, the, you know, young emerging defense. It's fair to wait and reserve judgment on his career until he gets to play with this team. And we're moving to a point now in NFL where we used to just blame the quarterback no matter what if they didn't succeed in the NFL. It's their fault. It's their fault. But now it feels like we're understanding that fit is such an important factor to a quarterback succeeding early in their career. And we used to either ignore that or it wasn't worth talking about. But now that's part of the conversation, as it should be, right? The fit of where quarterback goes, the coaching a quarterback has when they are young determines development almost more than their talent. We know Sam Darnold's very talented. So now he gets a fresh start with a new coaching staff. And can he turn this opportunity into becoming a, a worthwhile quarterback in the NFL? Will he be elite in the NFL? Probably never. Probably never. But he has the opportunity to be average or maybe slightly above it. Think Alex Smith, right? Finally got a good coaching. Boom. Playoff quarterback, many years for the Chiefs. Super winning quarterback? Maybe not. And maybe Sam will be one day. But I think anyone, not anyone, but most teams will take a an Alex Smith any day, especially a team that hasn't had a quarterback. And the Panthers don't count because they had Cam Newton for a while, but hasn't had a quarterback in many years to be successful. I think plenty would take a guy like Sam Darnold, or excuse me, like Alex Smith. And so they have the opportunity to do that here if Sam Darnold hits. So good for them. Good for the Panthers. Good for Sam Darnold. Jets obviously all in on Zach Wilson. We'll talk to Dane about Zach Wilson and how we both view him uh, as a prospect for the Jets. And you know what? Let's get to Dane. Here is Dane Brugler of The Athletic. Boom. And there it is. Wireless on the most reliable network nationwide. That's cool. But with my wireless, I get unlimited for just 30 bucks. Impressive. But does yours have 5G included? Of course. And my wireless saves me 400 bucks a year. <clears throat> That's because you all have Xfinity Mobile with your internet. It's wireless so good, it keeps one-upping itself. $30 per line per month. Taxes and fees extra. Compares pricing of top carriers. Xfinity internet required. Reduced speeds up to 20 gigabits of usage per line. Most reliable based on root metrics. You report. Results vary. Non-endorsement. Welcome in Dane Brugler of The Athletic, who just put out The Beast, a comprehensive draft guide. It is... Uh, it's free for Athletic subscribers. You have to pay, obviously, for The Athletic. It is a wonderful service. You should pay for it. 
Dane, thank you for coming on. No, thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's felt really good just to release it out into you know, the world today. Um, I've been saying that the only thing longer than the guide is the, the honeydew list I've got waiting for me from my wife uh, now that I'm back in civilization. But, you know, the, the response has been awesome. Feedback's been great. Uh, it's it's something that I care about a lot. I spend the whole year working on it, so a lot of detail in there. So if you love the draft, you love details when it comes to these players, I promise you, you will not be disappointed by it. I was going to ask you how long it took. I mean, obviously, it can't just take the you know the quote unquote off season, right? I mean, I'm looking at it right now. How many? It's a hundred. It's two hundred and sixty seven pages. I, I'm I'm sure you know how many players you broke down. A lot of them. So this starts like will you start now for next season? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll probably uh, you know you start gathering info. You start getting those nuggets. Um, you know, because that's uh, I treat it as if. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a normal NFL scout. Um, you know, you start, it's a year round thing. You start in summer, uh, you know, even before this draft starts and you start, uh, you know, watching tape. And this year is really interesting with all the opt outs and the, and, you know, the guys that went back to school. And so uh, it was just a really different process, no combine. Um, but one thing I'm very proud of with this guide is all the pro day information's in there. So there's, there's pro day information, all NFL verified for 600 players in there. So that that's something that I think uh, people really enjoy. Yeah. Real quick, before we get going on kind of this year's class, what is your, your background in scouting? Cause you know, when you put together a report, I mean, you put together the background of players as well. You put together their stats, obviously the pro day, you mentioned strengths, weaknesses, overall evaluation, and then you grade them from their position to overall. What's your background in scouting? So, you know, my, this has been my passion for a long time. And, uh, you know, I probably 13 years old when I realized, okay, I want to do this for a living. And, you know, it's such a hard thing to get into. It's yes. like, okay, you want, you want to be a doctor, you go to you know, medical school, you want to be a lawyer, you go to law school, you want to be a scout. Good luck. Hopefully you got an uncle who's, you know, minority owner of a team or something. And so for me, it was, okay, I'm going to put myself in positions to learn and just See what happens and so i went to mount union division three powerhouse uh and i was there with pierre garçon and i worked for the football team and we had a lot of scouts coming through uh alliance ohio that year uh pierre and i were we were seniors and so i was the guy with these scouts every day taking them to practice taking them around the facilities and uh you know just it, that and that helped me build my network and my informal education uh, into, into scouting and just keeping up with all those guys. Uh, you know, Seal Bracado was a big influence on my scouting legendary scout that should be in the hall of fame. Uh, same with Gil Brandt. They, they both took me under their wing, taught me a lot. Um, so all these, you know, all these informal education points for me really helped shape, uh, you know, my scouting style, the way I do things that I've been doing this long enough where I've learned that the most important trait for scout is self-evaluation, understanding what you missed on and not being afraid to miss, but understanding why um, evolving with the game, things like that. So, you know, it's a really different background because, you know, I, I you know, I've had opportunities in the league. I've turned down jobs. Uh, there've been jobs that I didn't get. And I've been heartbroken. Uh, you know, I never thought I'd be doing this on the media side, but uh, you know, I enjoy it. If I'm getting paid to scout players, uh, you know, I'm happy. So it's, it's worked out. So is this evaluation done solely based on the film or is there a, a part of this where you have to have connections to coaches and players and scouts? Uh, is that part of the process for you? 
Definitely. I mean, it, it's it's both because the film, obviously, that's the lifeblood. That that tells you 85% of what you want to know about a player, but there's a lot of context that you need, uh, you know, as you know, just with, with players and what makes them tick and, uh, you know, certain things about what they've been asked to do, you know, because you watch the film and you can point out the traits, but especially with the, you know, quarterback, what are, what are they specifically asked to do within the context of a scheme and things like that. So, you know, there's, there's so much that goes into it uh, aside from just what the film tells us. And that's where I rely on my contacts around the league and, uh, and it, it could get some dicey sometimes because you obviously some of these guys are not model citizens and you have to figure out, okay, well, what, what's appropriate to include into a report that's public and you know, what's not, and you know, what's relevant, uh, the medical stuff's important. So, you know, understanding where a guy is medically, that's obviously not easy. Um, so a lot of this stuff I'm relying on my contacts around the league to tell me, Hey, yeah, this guy's not on our board. You know, we, he's a box player for us because of a shoulder or, you know, this guy is just, he's not a culture fit. You know, he, he bombed during his interview. And so trying to figure out how to put that into a report without, you know, just totally, you know, killing the kid. That's a, you know, one of the things that's tough for me, uh, that, and just understand the biggest obstacle I find is finding, figuring out when enough is enough when you're watching a player, you know, like is three tapes enough, five tapes, yeah. you know, I just, at what point do you feel comfortable? Okay. I've got this guy because there's not enough time to watch two full seasons. You got to move on and uh, watch a different guy. I'm glad you mentioned the character traits because I was talking with a buddy about basically what happened with Darren Lofsky and Justin Fields. And, and, you know, I, I, when I, and I do a Pac-12 radio show, so I talk a lot about college kids and, and my goal is really to stay away from all character traits because it's a little uncomfortable talking about them when they're not quote unquote getting paid, right? There's a kind of amateur athletes in, in a sense. And you just never really know unless I specifically talk to a coach or someone very close to that player. How do you deal with, kind of the, you know, cause everyone's not perfect, right? Everyone does have character flaws. So how do you deal with including or not including something about work ethic or, you know, off the field development or academics or any sort of, uh, you know, a DUI or crime, anything like that. How do you deal with putting that into your scouting report? Well, anything that's public information, I think is fair game. That's in there. Um, you know, so like a DUI, that public information, that's in there. And, you know, I, I think it's important not to make any judgments based off of that. It's just, I'm going to present the facts uh, and, he, you know, he had a DUI and this, and that's, that's in there. But, you know, like I, I, this came up last week. So I had a, a scout tell me that a, a player uh, just doesn't love the game. Like it's an issue. And this is a projected first round pick. And I don't feel comfortable putting that into a report and totally, you know, slamming the game. I, I don't, that's that, first of all, that's secondhand information. You know, I'm not, I, it's not like I had a conversation with him and, you know, that's my opinion. That's, uh, you know, the vibe I got, or he, you know, kind of told me that. But, you know, it's it, so I don't I didn't feel comfortable putting that into his report. Now, there are some, you know, like uh, I had a scout tell me multiple scouts tell me that, you know, Kadarius Tony, uh, you know, he's he's really big into rapping and they're they're worried that might be a bigger passion for him than football. So, you know, I, I, I think it's important to put, put out there that it's, you know, I've heard from multiple scouts that they're worried about this. So. I, I, you know, I'm not, I'm trying not to make a judgment myself and saying, 
this guy doesn't like football. He's he, he's more into music. I'm not trying to make that judgment myself. I'm just kind of relaying information that I've heard from multiple uh, multiple scouts that that that's that the worry with them. So it, it it gets dicey. It gets tough. I I, I lean towards your way of thinking. Uh, you know, in terms of uh, just how to how to how to deal with it. How to because you you know five years from now, if the guy doesn't pan out and you want to go back to the report and figure out why it'd be nice if that information was in there, but at the same time, you don't want to, you know, uh, you know, knock him down before he even has a chance to take an NFL snap. I'm, I'm with you there. So let's get to your, your beast. Now we'll talk about a couple of the better positions and I'll throw in a couple extra guys that I'm, I'm very curious about. Let's start with quarterback. Obviously it's a very deep class very quickly on Trevor Lawrence. Cause I think that, with all this time that he has been the supposed number one pick, we've kind of forgotten how good he is. And we look at a Mac Jones or a Zach Wilson, and we see how much protection they had, what great, what game, uh, great schemes they were in. Trevor Lawrence kind of didn't have those and still succeeded. Anyways, how good was he in college and can he be in the NFL? Yeah, I don't, I don't know that he, you know, the generational quarterback. I don't, I don't know if that necessarily. Uh, if I would use that, but I do think he's a generational talent. Like just from when you look at what you want in a quarterback, he's got like almost everything on paper, uh, you know, physically the, the size, the athleticism. Now I will say with the size, you are a little bit worried about him coming in at 213 pounds. Uh, you know, Zach Wilson's four inches shorter uh, or three inches shorter and was heavier. So, you know, and Zach Wilson's not a big, not a, a stout guy. So you do wonder, okay, he's almost 6'6", and he's 213 pounds. That, that's a little bit of a worry right there. You just you'd want to see a little more meat on the bones. But uh, from just physically speaking, he's, he's, very, he's a very loose passer. He's flexible. Uh, there's not any stiffness to him with the way he, he, he plays. Uh, he does everything very quick. And sometimes it's to a fault. Sometimes he'll do things too quick. But you, that, that's something you really appreciate about his game, uh, the way he sees the field, the way he gets the ball up and out. Um, everything about his process is quick. And like I said, sometimes that's that's a detriment and you need to reel it back a little bit. But for a guy that, you know, from the moment he stepped on the field as a freshman, uh, you know, winning a national title that first year, taking Clemson to the playoffs the last two years, um, you know, the, all the intangibles are there uh, in terms of what you want in a quarterback. So there, there's so much to like about what, not only what he is now, but what he's going to continue to be at the next level. So yeah, he, he's the easy number one pick in this class, which is saying a lot considering this is a very strong top heavy quarterback group. Number two on your list. And I believe will be the second pick in the draft is Zach Wilson at a BYU. I, uh, I don't know about him, man. Can, can you, can you sell, sell me on, sell me on some Zach Wilson. I, I just think it was, too easy in college for him. He had a great offensive line. Um, he often threw from a great platform with no one in his face against lower competition. Um, stepped up a little bit in competition, struggled a little bit. I don't know. I feel like we're projecting him like we hope he's Pat Mahomes, and there's kind of just only one Pat Mahomes. All right, sell me on Zach Wilson. Yeah, you know, I think it's easy to, uh, because a lot of what you're saying, it's easy to appreciate what he did, but he did not face uh, much top, uh, the top competition that you want to see. Um, did he benefit from a strong run game? Yeah. Offensive line? Yeah. Um, what I love most about him, and this is, you know, it, there's so much nuance when you talk about these quarterbacks, but why I have Zach Wilson ahead of, say, Justin Fields and this comes back to an old Bill Walsh uh, thing when he talks about quarterbacks. 
he wants he wanted quarterbacks that were capable of that great spontaneous decision. That's what he said. It boils down that separates the good from the great quarterbacks. And with Zach Wilson, I see that. I see a guy that's able to make that great spontaneous decision. A lot of times it's off platform. It's a lot of times, you know, these different arm angles, but every time it's accurate. He's just, he's a very naturally accurate quarterback. And, you know, he's not a perfect player by any means. There's a lot of times where he's escaping the pocket prematurely before he needs to. He just, he likes that style, that backyard style. Uh, You know, he, he can play within structure, but he prefers to play outside of structure and that's not always going to be the, the the way to go. And so just his instincts, he needs to reel it back a little bit uh, and be a little more consistent from that area. But I, again, I go back to his ability to be naturally accurate, off-platform, and just you know the way he sees the field and that spontaneous decisions. Uh, and that's, you know, with Justin Fields, he's uh, there, there's so much to like about Justin Fields. I think he's a top 10 player, but he's a little more methodical with how he sees things and how he, uh, you know, delivers the football. And I think you can, you know, he can be more urgent and, you know, quicken his process as, as he grows and develops. But that's some, it's a projection a little bit where I've seen that from Zach Wilson and think he can do it. So for me, that's why Zach Wilson, that's that, you know, there's more to it, but you know, that's the boilerplate. That That's the main reason why he's the number two quarterback for me. Number three is is Trey Lance. Number four, you have as, as you mentioned, Justin Field. Number five is Mac Jones. You got to help me out here because I do not understand the Niners trading up to three, giving away multiple first round draft picks for Mac Jones. Mm-hmm. I get that Kyle Shanahan has worked well with Matt Ryan and Jimmy Garoppolo, but those are the options he had at the time. He has a, t- a chance to choose someone more mobile with more upside, with more potential, why would he settle for Mac Jones? Yeah, and I think, well, first, let's 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 talk about Mac uh, and what he does really well. If you're going to list the most important traits that you want at the quarterback position, starts with two things, accuracy, decision-making, right? Those are the two things you want at the position. You can make the argument Mac Jones is better in those two areas then, uh, you know, the the two other quarterbacks we think will be available being Justin Fields and Trey Lance. So from that standpoint, you just have to look at the rest and say, is he good enough with the, with the rest of, you know, the mobility, the arm strength? Is he just good enough in those areas where he's going to be able to, uh, you know, compensate? Uh, and so that's, that's where the selling point is with Mac Jones. But I agree with you. I, I think when, you know, you look at, picking at number three overall, you're looking for high-end traits, guys with upside, guys that will, you know, they're, they're really good now, but thinking about what they're going to be two, three years from now gets you really excited. And I think that's easy to do with Trey Lance and, and Justin Fields. I, it's really going to be interesting. I, I think that, you know, Justin Fields, he's got a pro day coming up next week, his second pro day. The 49ers, uh, you know, are expected to be there. So that's certainly relevant um, you know, it's, it's different this year. We're not allowed to have any uh, private workouts, so they only pro days. So anybody's allowed to attend the second pro day uh, for Justin Fields. So it's going to be interesting to see what other teams are, are going to be attending that. Uh, but the fact that Kyle Shanahan was at Mac Jones Pro Day, that's that, that tells you right there that he's at least in the running. You know, I'm not going to say that that's going to be the pick. I don't know that there's, a, there's enough buzz. And the fact that Kyle Shanahan, who does not go to many pro days, the fact that he was at Mac Jones Pro Day, and he wasn't there to see Najee Harris. Uh, he wasn't there to see Devontae Smith. No one else uh, worked out aside from those guys catching passes from Mac Jones. So he was there to see the quarterback. And that t- tells you right there that there's at least interest 
in in Mac. So it's I'm I don't know that it's going to be Mac Jones, but there's at least uh, enough interest there that he's in the conversation. And it's we're gonna keep talking about this until April 29th, and I think that's when we're gonna finally know for sure. So those five quarterbacks you mentioned are definitely going, and it's possible that they go in the top. Six, maybe. I know that you know the, the the Bengals are staying at five. There's no way they're trading out of that. Yeah. Eagles, maybe they take a quarterback at six, maybe they don't. But they'll be gone by seven or eight. So we'll have all these these five guys gone. Is there another guy you see sneaking up at the end of the first round as the sixth quarterback of the first round? I'd be pretty surprised. Um, to me, you know, there's a lot of love for Kellen Mond out there. I, I I'm yeah. a little more. I'm a little lower on him. He's just way too inconsistent you know you watch the Florida tape and you okay all right I there's something here and then you watch the LSU tape and it's like yeah I don't I mean it, it, it's tough to fall in love for him so uh, but the Mon love is out there I think he's gonna go in the second round the guy that I if I had a point to a quarterback in this class aside outside the top five who has the ability to be a longtime starter I think that's Davis Mills at Stanford who and, and it's a tough evaluation we're talking about 11 starts we're yep. talking about a guy who, you know, the left knee is an issue dating back to high school. So a lot of this is going to depend on the medical evaluations. You know, if, or, what are my doctors telling me? If they're telling me that, you know, he could re-injure it, but right now there's no issues. There's nothing to say that he should re-injure it. If that's the case, then, you know, I'm feeling really good about Davis Mills being that developmental quarterback. I'd still be very surprised if he went first round. But somewhere day two, then you could easily sell me on drafting Davis Mills because there's, there's a lot to like there. He might be the best middle of the field thrower in this class. Really like his process. Uh, he's a well built kid. You know, he's almost six four, two hundred twenty pounds. Uh, it's just yeah, you don't you don't love the sample size. You don't love the the medicals. But if you you know if the if the doctors sign off, give you two thumbs up, and you know you you have a situation where you're not going to ask him to start from day one, and you can actually let him uh, be in the quarterback room and develop, continue to develop mentally, uh, and bring him along at his pace and not your pace, then I, I think you know you think about that somewhere in the top sixty picks. He is an interesting prospect. Uh, he actually ran a lot faster for you than anyone thought he would run at a four eight basically. Yeah. And you look back at last year, just obviously I covered this conference, you know, he missed the first game with a false positive COVID test. The second game kind of took him half the, half the game to kind of get going a little bit. They started playing better, but he played an offense that is not a passing offense. And, and you're right, right. They, ver- they throw the ball vertically downfield every now and then. There's no like intermediate passing. There's no quick passing game. And is he a guy you think like a Justin Herbert who just kind of gets better scheme around him and can kind of pop? Yeah, I think that's fair to say. And yeah, you watch him. They ask him to do a little bit of everything, obviously, because it's a lot of under center, but they do, you know, shotgun. They they will spread it out some a little bit here and there. But yeah, for the most part, it is a, an offense that will rely on the running game, that relies on the tight ends, a lot of seam routes, things like that. So he's a guy that, and I'm sure that went into part of his decision to come out with only 11 starts, being a junior um, still leaving eligibility on the table. So I, I think that what, what really sold me, because I, I, I like Davis Mills watching him over the summer. You know, I, I was intrigued. And then, you know, really, because it was that it was against Oregon, that first game, right? That he w- couldn't play. He couldn't play, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so I was, I was really excited to see him against Oregon, probably the best defense he was going to face. And then, you know, he couldn't play. Uh, but then watching him throughout the year, I thought he got better and better and better. That UCLA game, the final game of the year, 
was outstanding. Uh, that was a lot of fun to watch. I, I believe it went to overtime. They they won late in the game, and you know, Davis Mills and Fajoko they 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 put on a show. So that was uh that, that was a lot of fun to watch. Before we move on, let's take a break, and we'll be back with Dane. All right, we're back with Dane Brugler of the Athletic. Put out the beast, uh, his comprehensive six hundred prospect uh, draft guide on theathletic.com. It's well worth the uh, the subscription. Uh, after quarterback, it feels like the next kind of best class is, is offensive tackle. And it feels like we're doing this thing where we do all the time, where we overthink things. To me, it's Penesul number one and no one else. I, I do not know why we've gone to, and I'm obviously an Oregon Duck, but we've now gone to Rashawn Slater maybe being 1A or maybe looking at maybe inside the guard or right tackle. Uh, what you have Panay number one is, as you should, the fifth player overall on your big board. What do you see from uh, from young fellow? He's young. He's going to be twenty when he plays his first NFL snap. He was born uh, like three weeks before Tom Brady threw his first uh, pass in the NFL, which is just crazy. Uh, this guy is for what he's done at such a young age, and uh, I mean, he's so unique. I, I mean, I, I know I don't need to tell you this. You 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 know how how different he is. I mean, just looking at his body type, it's like okay, where where does he hide this three hundred and thirty pounds? Like it just the way he's built is so is so unique. Um, and, and what I loved so much about Tristan Wirfs last year was that big man balance, and that's what you see with Pene Sewell. Yeah, he's not a guy that's on the ground, uh, you know. And you know, hearing the coaches talk about him, how how quick he is mentally, those split second reads that you know you need to make as an offensive tackle is just so impressive. The reflexes. Uh, he's not a perfect prospect. You know, I, I want to see him get a little bit better with some of the angles, with some of the timing things. But he's so smart and he's so flexible. He's got the football instincts that you want. I, I mean, I'm with you. I, I I like Rashawn Slater a lot, but for me, there really wasn't much of a discussion at number one. So uh, I don't. I mean, obviously, you've watched Sewell plenty. Uh, what, what do you love most about him? Well, I love his, his instincts are incredible. And you're right. If you talk to the coaches off the charts and I've talked to him many times and I have this series coming out uh, on Fox sports. That's going to, it's a Gruden's O-line camp basically style nice. show. And, and I talked to him about certain plays. You're going to hear like him talk about film study and how he knew if he widened on an outside zone, the DN would widen with him. So he didn't fear getting beat inside, like things like that. You don't really hear very much in, in college, but you're right. Things he can be better at. Too aggressive at the second level. It's got to slow down. You don't have to kill everyone at a linebacker. And I think pass protection is really interesting because in that offense, Marcus Arroyo's offense, they didn't pass protect very often, like true drop back pass. And I wish I'd seen more of that from him. You know, Rashawn Slater had the Chase Young game where he was great. And they did a lot more right. drop back pass. So if you watch him play, the first couple of reps every game in pass pro are a little bit awkward. But then it gets better throughout each game when he kind of settles down a little bit. Doesn't try to kill someone. So it's plenty of growth for him, but his physical attributes and his hips and his hands and the way he can recover. And you mentioned his body control, man. Bradley and I hit him with a spin move in the Pac-12 championship game. Yeah. And he just like recovered and moved and just kind of pushed him out of the way. And Herbert was able to kind of step in front and, and step out. Like that. most guys fall on the ground when he gets a spin yeah. move. And right. his recovery is amazing. Um, Rashawn Slater is, is second, and rightfully so, your 11th best prospect overall. Lots of talk about his arm length, really everyone's arm length um, yeah. this year. Shorter arms than, than usual. I don't think that matters as much. He's still 33-inch arms. Um, do you project him as, as more of a guard or tackle in the NFL? 
there's nothing on tape that says he can't play tackle. Uh, Now, with that said, I think he could be an awesome guard. Um, You know, I I don't think there's any reason why, you know, he can't play guard or even center. But I think that's part of the appeal with Rashawn Slater is, you know, I I think the, the word versatility gets thrown out there way too loosely, especially with offensive linemen. Uh, oh, yeah, just kick him inside the guard. Yeah, like it's just not that easy. Uh, but with Rashawn Slater, I do think that when you look at his strengths as a player, um, you know, there's there's you do think that it would be a, a fairly easy transition for him if you if you want to kick him inside the guard or even center. I know, you know talking to him in the fall, he told me he, you know, working with Duke Manyweather, working a lot on snapping and just proving that he could be a center. So that was a big part of his emphasis. Uh, especially as an opt-out, you know, and, that, and that's something with all these guys. Uh, you know, I know you've been working out the last six months, uh, you know, not playing uh, uh, college football, but how are you better as a football player? You know, how, how did you get better uh, in terms of your understanding of the game? And, you know, just how, how are you better from your uh, 2019 film? And with Rashawn, he, he really put a lot of emphasis on showing that he could play guard, he could play center, even though he sees himself as a tackle. Um, and, you know, talking to Duke about, arm length and you know how much that matters or it doesn't uh i mean he was emphatic by saying that rashawn is a tackle and that length matters but it's more of a you know something that can help bridge the gap if you you know if you it 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 helps with your margin of error if you have longer arms but it doesn't mean anything if you're not good with your body control and your feet and you know the way you move and your weight uh your weight transfer and things like that so uh, you know, it's, it, does arm length matter? Sure. It, it, it matters, but it, it, it's down the list of things that matter for an offensive ta- tackle, uh, when you, when you're projecting these guys. The, the rest of your top list is basically the same as kind of everyone's Derisaw. Some people actually have Derisaw ahead of Slater. I don't see it quite, quite yet. Yeah. You have Jenkins who projects as a right tackle would imagine, uh, in the NFL. Do you think teams now have kind of gone over the left tackle, right tackle thing? Like if, if Jenkins can play, draft him in the first round and figure it out later. Yeah, well, we saw that with Tristan Wirfs the, last year. Yeah. I mean, how much of a difference did he make for the Bucs? Oh. Uh, I mean, just... All pro. It was the missing piece. And, you know, he was a guy that... Uh, the only reason he played right tackle at Iowa is because their left tackle had to play left tackle. He couldn't play right tackle. So in order to get their best five out there, uh, they, they put him at right tackle. And, you know, it, it just happened to work out where that's exactly what the Bucks needed. They plug him in at right tackle, and yeah, I mean, it's it's an old you know uh, archetype that you know the left tackle, and obviously if you're having right-handed quarterback protecting the blind side, there, there's something to that. But you're facing you know the caliber of rusher you're facing at right tackle is you know often uh, just as lethal, if not more so, with the way that defenses mix things up. So uh, yeah, I mean, Tevin Jenkins, the fact that he he has some experience at left tackle, he also has experience at guard. So with Tevin Jenkins, I think that's part of the appeal with him is that he does have that versatile experience where uh, probably best at right tackle, like you said, but he does have experience other places where if you want to you know, put him in there in a pinch, he could probably do it. Looking at your seventh prospect here, uh, this is a guy that, that I've covered. I know him decently well is Walker Little. He's, I think, a guy that, that teams or players that fans of teams probably don't know much about. He hasn't played in two seasons. He's right. out of Stanford. Um how do you grade someone like that? He, he 2019 yeah. was hurt and missed it. And then I was surprised he sat out 2020. So he has not played football since 2018. Now he played one game in 2019, but how do you, how do you project a guy who hasn't played in two years? 
I mean, it's just rare. We, we, we've not seen a player like this who, yeah, we just don't have much tape. You know, we've, we've seen a guy like like Nick Bosa who, you know, got hurt that final year and wasn't able to play that uh, that full season for Ohio State. But, you know, we knew what Nick Bosa was at that point. With Walker Little, uh, you know, he was so good that 2018 season, his sophomore year, that, you know, he still had a lot of things to work on, but his trajectory was moving up. And so you're thinking, okay, really excited what he's going to look like in 2019 and then, you know, continuing to grow. But like you said, it just not having any tape. And I, I guess maybe the one silver lining is he got hurt, like one of the final plays of that Northwestern game in the opener. So we, we did get almost a full game of him, just one in the 2019 uh, tape. And he was really good in that game. So, you know, he's a really uh, interesting case. I wish he would have played at the Senior Bowl. I, I think that was a missed opportunity for him uh, to go to Mobile and show what he could do. Uh, but he turned down his invite. Um, but uh, the biggest thing, obviously, will be the knee. Just, you know, check that box. Make sure he's healthy, uh, you know, and you can, you know, not have to worry about that. But then, I, you know, I, I said it, I mentioned it with Rashawn Slater and, and, and Sewell. Uh, okay, you haven't been playing the last year. So how are you better as a football player? with Walker Little, okay, you haven't played in almost two years. How are you better as a, as a football player? There's two years of development that, you know, you theoretically are missing. So what have you been working on? How have you been, how have you been focusing on getting better as a player? It's, it's something that is tough uh, because you're, you're, it's a lot of projection involved with a guy like Walker Little. I mean, thankfully it's, it's rare that we see a case like this, but it's certainly a challenge as you try to project them forward. I, I graded him as kind of a late two uh, assuming he's healthy, like a late two, uh, you know, a guy that, you know, you kind of, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of faith involved there, but you know, if he continues at that trajectory that we saw in 2018, and then that one game in 2019, I, I think he might be able to outplay that late second round grade. Let's look at another offensive position. I think offense feels like the theme of this draft, at least early in the draft. Let's look at yep. wide receiver out of your top nine guys. Seven of them are under 200 pounds. It's significantly under under 200 pounds. Is this the wide receiver we're getting from from college football now? An, an undersized kind of slot guy? Because a lot of these guys in previous years probably wouldn't go in the top of the draft. But we're looking at, obviously, Jamar Chase and, and Waddle and Smith as surefire top 15 picks. And that's a great point. Uh, you know, in the past, you think about the last 15 years or so, it was the Julio Jones, the Calvin Johnsons. Uh, you know, those are the guys that went top 10. Um, and, you know, the guys that weren't, you know, you think of like a John Ross or, you know, guys that maybe didn't pan out. So uh, last year we had three really good or four really good receivers at the top and uh, none of them went top 10 this year. I, I think, you know, we could talk about wide receiver value because uh, that's always an interesting debate because it's especially the last two years, the, the position stretches, uh, you know, you can find receivers in the second round, third round guys that are going to contribute, you know, Chase Claypool was a mid second round pick last year. You can find those guys, uh, especially when you compare it to like an offensive tackle, which, you know, generally, you know, the, the second rounders haven't worked out nearly as well as first rounders at that position. And, and that's true at other positions as well. So we could talk about the value of the position and that, that's, that, I think that's a worthy debate. But I, I do think that it's almost we're seeing kind of a, a changing of the guard where wide receiver is going to be a strength of almost every draft moving forward. It just, it just feels like, you know, with last year and this year and just moving forward, that's where a lot of the athletes are. 
And as college offenses continue to evolve and highlight these guys, what they can do and just, you know, how, how special they can be, uh, you know, it, it, it's going to be really interesting it, it, at the top with a, a guy like Jamar Chase, who was so good. We didn't need to see him, just like Penny Sewell, we didn't need to see him take another snap at the college level to understand what kind of talent he is. Uh, and then he goes to his pro day and just blows it up. I mean, he, uh, there's over 600, uh, you know, pro day results for these players. And I think only two had under four seconds in a short shuttle, Ch- uh, Jamar Chase and Michael Carter, the North Carolina running back. So, I mean, he just ripped it up at his pro day. Uh, and then just throw on the tape of 2019 and just, you know, he's an easy sell for any offense. Um, but then Jalen Waddle and Devontae Smith and, you know, you get into the debate about, okay, Devontae Smith's weight and how many 170 pound receivers are there. Is he really the, you know, the uh, exception to the rule? Some NFL teams are going to not be interested in that because they, they're not going to, they're not going to feel comfortable taking the risk on the outlier in the top 15 picks. And then part of me understands that, you know, part of me, if, if you, you know, you, you want to take a chance on a guy, uh, you know, I, I can understand why some teams won't be on board. I mean, I, I I'm on the opposite end of that thinking in terms of he is the exception. I'd be okay taking that risk, but some teams aren't uh, Jalen Waddle, not being the biggest guy doesn't have the necessarily production you want to see uh, being hurt a lot of this past year. So each one of these guys, there's something about them that, you know, they're not the Calvin Johnsons, that surefire, uh, you know, talent at the top. But it's easy to talk yourself into them with just all the different things they could do. Elijah Moore, Rashad Bateman, um, you know, even down into the second round with a guy like Deami Brown from North Carolina. So it's just a really interesting group of receivers. You mentioned the, the weight of, of Smith, and this is pretty interesting because he's 170 pounds. And obviously, yeah. if you watched him play this year, he was fantastic. It was And it was an easy choice for Heisman, in my opinion, the way he was mm-hmm. able to. And there weren't always great throws. But he was able to catch the ball, high point the ball, just physically run through defenses um so how do you ignore the previous comps of that weight not working in nfl and and decide that he is the alex i agree with teams typically that the outliers you can't draft them very high that's Mm -hmm. a lot of of draft capital to waste on an outlier that may or may not pan out but what 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 do you you think sets him apart to where a team could say hey man i'll ignore the previous comps but i'll take this guy anyways I think the fact that he's been relatively healthy throughout his career, um, you know, he started double digit games each of the last three years. There's no major injuries there. Uh, there are times where he'll take a big hit. Like I'm thinking like the Notre Dame tape, there was a few times where he took a hit and was a little slow to get up. I mean, that's, we're talking about a hundred, 170 pound frame. And this isn't a case where it's like, Oh, well wait till he gets to the NFL. He'll put on 10 pounds. His body's just not built that way. And he's coming from Alabama, which I mean, they, produce these guys if he couldn't put on 10 pounds at Alabama he's not doing it in the NFL that's just not how his frame is it works how it's built uh you know the body composition so it there there is risk involved there's no question uh you know there's just not a great track record of 170 pound receivers staying healthy and, and making it but he was so good this past year and even going back to his 2019 stuff it's not like this is a one-year wonder he's been consistently good and he with, with the ball skills with his ability to create his route running, uh, you know, aside from the weight, you know, what are the, what are the big issues with him? And that's, that's what you keep coming back to. So the fact that he's so strong in so many other areas, that's where, you know, you can say, okay, this guy is different. You know, it's kind of like Kyle Pitts in the conversation about taking a tight end in the top 10 picks, which generally there's not a great track record of that. 
but my argument to that would be, okay, well, when's the last time we saw a talent like a Kyle Pitts come to the draft? It's, it's almost like saying, well, we can't draft Pat Mahomes because when's the last time a Texas Tech quarterback didn't, you know, it worked out. It, you can't look at it like that. You have to look at that individual player and, you know, really try. And I understand, you know, focusing on the outliers and, or, you know, what generally works and what doesn't work in the percentages, but watching him dominate at the SEC level for multiple years, uh, you know, I, I, I'm sold on him as a top 10 pick, but I certainly understand that every team might not be. Let's talk about Kyle Pitts, who, um, for most people, and including yourself, is the best non-quarterback on the draft board, the, the tight end or wide receiver-ish tight end out of Florida. Um, we see every elite offense in the NFL has an elite tight end. There's such big mismatch, issue, mismatch issues um, for the NFL. Uh, what makes Kyle Pitts so unique entering this league? He's just different. Uh, you know, I mean, he's... It, it, let's just go talk about the you know, the, the, the raw skill, uh, of, you know, like the pro day, you know, six, five and five eighths, uh, 245 pounds, four, four, zero in the 40, uh, 83 and a half inch wingspan. Uh, so, I mean, just based on those raw numbers, you're intrigued, but then you throw on the tape and the tape's even better than what the raw numbers tell you from the pro day. I mean, his ability to work the seam, work outside, and it's not like he's just beating up on linebackers and safeties. Throw on the Kentucky tape, and he's burning Kelvin Joseph, the Kentucky corner, who is a 4-3 athlete and has a good chance to be a first-round pick in a few weeks. And he's running right by him. And he's not slowing at the catch point. He's finishing strong. Um, and more, even more impressive than his athleticism is the ball skills. It's just really, really impressive to see him go up the focus, the hand-eye coordination, the body control, it, it's just rare. It's just different than what we're used to seeing from a, a tight end. So, uh, you know, I think Darren Waller is the closest comparison. Uh, but even that, I don't think it fully encapsulates what Kyle Pitts is as a talent. And so, you know, I, I don't necessarily understand the, you know, wide receiver talk just because, you know, I, 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 he can block. He's not going to be a guy that's going to be a road grader. But he can execute basic blocks and you can keep him in line and he's not going to hurt you. Uh, now, do you want him running routes and being a threat as a pass catcher? Obviously, yeah, that, that's the strength of his game. But even like, you know, a guy like Travis Kelsey, he lined up, uh, you know, detached from the formation, you know, 50-50. I mean, most of the time he's, uh, you know, running routes and being a weapon. So, you know, I, I think it's all how you choose to use him. But he is just a, a unicorn, a different type of tight end that we're usually used to seeing and it's going to be interesting. You look at Atlanta at four, Cincinnati at five, uh, you know, Miami at six. You know, where where is that landing spot for him? I don't think there is an obvious landing spot, but still, these teams are going to have to say, ah, you know, you know, no thanks. We're going to pass on him. And that's just going to be awfully tough to do. Let's talk about what the Bengals are going to do at, at five. So let's assume that obviously one, two, three go quarterback. Let's say right. someone trades to four, the Broncos trade up to four for Trey Lance or Justin Fields, whatever. So five the Bengals have now. Kyle Pitts, Jamar Chase, or Panay Sewell. We know that right now in their roster, they have Jonah Williams, who is at left tackle. They signed Riley Reef to a one-year deal. People acting like they signed him to a 17-year deal. I don't understand why Bengals fans think that he's the future of anything. And I like Riley a lot, but he's a one-year deal. Obviously, Joe Burrow got hurt last year. They have decent amount of weapons, T. Higgins and Boyd and wide receiver, who are you taking if you were the Bengals with that fifth pick? 
uh, you know, it it would not be it, w- it would come down to Penny Sewell or Kyle Pitts for me. Um, yeah. I, I, I it would be really tough for me to pass on Kyle Pitts just because I do think he is that special of a talent that is rare and that does not come around often. Um, but we're talking about two players that by the end of their rookie contracts, very realistically will be top three at their position in the NFL. I mean, I I don't think that's unfair to say that. I I think that's a realistic, uh, attainable goal for both these guys. So first of all, this is a very good problem to have if you're deciding between those two players. Um, I, I, at the end of the day, I'd probably lean Pitts just because, again, I just think he's just so special, so different than what we're used to seeing. But, uh, you know, but, and that's why, you know, like Jamar Chase wouldn't even be in that conversation to me. I, I would much, I would much rather go with Penny Sewell over Jamar Chase or one of these other receivers just because, uh, you know, Penny Sewell is just that good of a player. But it's also tough to find, uh, you know, tackles that are his caliber. And you mentioned, uh, you know, the makeup of the roster. Is offensive tackle necessarily a need tomorrow? No, uh, you know, especially when you you know look at they need more help on the interior compared to tackle. But long term, uh, you want to help out your quarterback, and yeah, sure, a wide receiver would do that. But you know, a tackle is going to keep your uh, quarterback healthy, which right now is the most important thing for the Bengals. So. I, I would probably lean Kyle Pitts just again. I think he's that special, but it would be close between him and Sewell. So if you were to, you know, Bengals fans will justify this by saying, hey, we want Jamar Chase because we can get Brady Christensen, you know, in the second round. Um, right. We can get maybe an Alex Leatherwood, or you have listed at guard, which makes which makes sense for him. Or we can get, um, you know, Walker Little. I think that's kind of early for him. But nonetheless, um, so we could take, you know, is, is that – is that reasoning fair or do you think a Penesu plus a Bateman is an option for them? I think that's a much better option than going with Chase and a second round tackle. Yeah, I, I think that when you're picking top five, you need to take the best player. I, I, I think that you, I understand looking, you know, uh, into your know, future rounds and saying, okay, well, if we don't take this player, who could be available for us? I mean, that's, that's just smart. That makes sense. But at the end of the day, take the best player. Who's going to impact your roster the most uh, with that number five pick? And ultimately, that's what it would come down for for me. If I think Kyle Pitts is going to impact my roster the most, then I don't necessarily, it doesn't necessarily matter who's going to be there for me in the second round. I'm going to go with that selection. If I think it's Sewell, then that, that's, I'm not going to let who could be available for me in the second round dictate who I take in the first round. Uh, even though I understand the thinking, because at the end of the day, you're coming away with packages of players and those first few rounds you want three starters uh and so you want to you know hit on the best three starters you can get but i i fall with the thinking that i'm not gonna allow that what could happen in round two dictate what i do in round one so i'm gonna take that best player uh early uh but i luckily for the Bengals, wide receiver and tackle both two of the strongest positions uh in this draft so whichever way direction they go pass catcher offensive line I whatever whichever way they go in the first round they can feel pretty good that there'll be at least a, a, a an option they can uh you know relate to there in the on day two well before we get you out of here let's talk I guess a tiny bit about defense since there are people that listen here that might enjoy <laughs> that side of the ball and your top 25 players nine of them are defensive guys so it's not a, a big year for grabbing guys in the first round that might be impact players if you're looking you know you're if you're the Cowboys 
uh, you're you know you're drafting ten or you're another team kind of in the middle of, of of the first round looking for impact players. Who are a couple names that you think will be immediate guys right now that can help a, a winning defense? Yeah, it's weird. We're not going to have you know usually we have that that top pass rusher you know the Bosa's or Miles Garrett or Chase Young last year. We just don't have that guy this year. We're, we're probably not going to have a pass rusher top ten for the first time in like ten years. We we uh, will have one. We will have one next year. Yeah, I, I have not done him yet, but I have a yeah. feeling you're talking about the the, the Kayvon, rising Kayvon rising junior. Yeah, the rising junior He's uh, at Oregon. Enjoy, enjoy him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, watch. Who was I watching? Uh, oh, Dalman, the the Stanford center, who I, I like a lot, uh, but can't, couldn't take my eyes off of uh, Thibodeau. Uh, with just he, he looks like an exciting player. Um, so I think you look at the cornerback position. Uh, there's some names at the top that are really intriguing with Patrick Sertan, uh, the second, and J.C. Horn. Um, you know, both those guys, I think, are going to go in the top 15 picks. Um, and, you know, I think the Cowboys, there's a good chance they could be sitting there at 10 with their choice of any of the defensive players. Uh, there might be, you know, the first eight picks might be all offense, which would be uh, really interesting. Um, it, I think corners, there's some interesting options. Greg Newsome. I love Caleb Farley. Caleb Farley, to me, is a top 10 talent. Uh, but with his medical history, the durability, you really question, you know, what's where do I feel comfortable taking this player? Um, and so I think the Caleb Farley could fall. He could fall out of the first round. It's possible, even though he is a, a top 7, 8 pick in terms of talent in this class. Uh, I, you look at uh, linebacker Michael Parsons is a really, really talented player, 4-3 four, uh, four, athlete who has – uh, you know, the body of a pass rusher. So I, you know, he's too enticing as long as the character checks out and you're comfortable with the maturity, he's going to go early. Um, I, I don't know that we're, there's no guarantee we're going to see a safety uh, in this year's first round. There's no guarantee we're going to see a defensive tackle in this year's first round. I, I like Christian Barmore a lot. Uh, still only a redshirt sophomore, still very young, but the flashes that he put on tape, just so, so impressive. So I, I do think he's going to end up going somewhere in the top, top 30 picks. But, you know, it's it's just not a deep year for defensive tackles, defensive linemen on the interior. Um, so uh, it just, it's, a, it's a really unique uh, defensive class, like you mentioned. Really interesting. A couple defensive ends that I want to highlight because I'm kind of curious about uh, where you have them. So Gregory Rousseau from Miami, he opted out this year. And he was supposed to be, the, you know, top five pick heading into this year. I think most people would have thought that coming off the year he had. Um is he one of the guys that really got hurt by opting out? Because it feels like he's probably a second round pick now and he was entering this year as a top five pick. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. And I, I think it, I think it's he was entering this year as potential top five pick based off of what we expected him to do this past season as a, as a retro sophomore. Um, I don't think he was a top five pick based off his 2019 film, even though, you know, the, the production looked great. He had... I think he was second in the nation in sacks behind only Chase Young. Uh, but he, you know, this is a guy that was a wide receiver and a safety up until his junior year of, or senior year of high school. They moved him to the defensive line. His first year at Miami, he gets hurt. So he misses that entire first year. Uh, and then the the next year, a redshirt freshman, 2019, that's when he blew up. And you see a guy that's really, really long. He's He's got a really quick first step. But he's not the most bendy, the most flexible guy. Um, a lot of his production came when he reduced inside and was rushing from, you know, over over the A-gap and able to beat the center. And it's just, you know, I think he could do that in the NFL, but that's not traditionally what you're looking for in a first-round pass rusher, a guy that's, you want guys that can win around the edge. 
and he just didn't do it consistently. So I, I think there's you know, we have yet to see the best from from Rousseau. I think he's he's a guy that can continue to get better. But based off just one year of film, opting out this past year, to me, he is a tough, tough sell uh, in the first round. And maybe he still goes there. A team's going to bet on that upside. Uh, but uh, you know, for me, I, I, w- I would not feel comfortable taking him in the first round. The the last guy we'll talk about, and this guy, it kind of surprised me. I guess it, it, it surprised me only because no one else has, I think, mentioned him this side. Joe Tryon, the defensive end. Out of Washington, you have him thirty second. Might be the highest I've seen someone rank him. He opted out this season as well. We've seen a lot of these opt outs, especially out west. Um, what do you see from him? And I mean, you have him as a fifth edge rusher, thirty second overall. I just was surprised to see someone have his name that high. Uh, yeah, this dude—he looks like an action figure. I mean, so just from a, a, a on the hoof, you know, body beautiful. Uh, he, he's got the muscle tone you want, the length that you want. Uh, 34-inch arms for a guy that's 6'5", 260. He reminds me exactly uh, Marcus Davenport when he was coming out a couple of years oh, yeah. ago and the, the Saints traded up into the like the 14th, 15th pick or something Dude, to get so him. So I, I called a – I only I called some football games in 2017. I called UTSA Rice. And yeah. after the game, I texted Matt Miller and was like, Matt, Dude, check out this kid Davenport. I watched him in warm up. I'd seen him on film a little bit, watched him in warm-ups. I was like, dude, this guy, and he, cr- and look, Rice is not very good at football, but right. he dominated that game. Yeah. And I remember watching him before the game in warm-ups, like, look at this dude. He, he's incredible. And obviously, we see now with his development in, in New Orleans, good football player. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, with Tryon, you know, I, I think that I can't I, that, that he reminded me of him just watching him on film, and then I, I matched up their their testing uh, with what Tryon did at the pro day and what Davenport did at the combine. It's almost identical, so I, I think it matches both with how they play and just their skill set. When you talk about their athleticism, the way they move for guys that are you know big guys, two hundred sixty pound guys. Uh, but with with Tryon, I really wish we could have had that uh, again. Wish had that year of development to watch on film. But, you know, he's a good athlete. Uh, I love the way he'll use his length. Uh, you know, he he can win at the top of the rush with different moves. Uh, he's still a guy that's developing and learning how to use all of his talent. But, you know, the coaches speak highly uh, of the way he's wired, you know, that mental makeup, things like that. So when you get towards the end of the first round, early second round, uh, especially at a position that's, uh, you know, uh, one of the premium positions, quarterback, cornerback, edge rusher, tackle, I'm going to take chances. I'm going to take swings on yeah. guys that have the traits, that have the mental makeup, that just need a little bit more development. And I think Tryon fits in that category. Well, man, I really appreciate you joining us after doing this this long project of yours. Uh, guys, I'm telling you, man, go to theathletic.com. You can download it. Uh, it's you know free with subscription. I, I was... I was surprised this wasn't like a premium. I'm not going to lie. I, I logged on. I saw you had a promo code like to get kind of like download it. And I thought to right. myself... Oh shit! I'm gonna have to pay extra, which I would have done. This is—it's well worth the subscription. It's unbelievable. Please go get it, Dane. Really appreciate you joining me today. Anytime, I enjoyed it. Thanks, man. Take care, bud. That has been Dane Brugler of the Athletic. I'm telling you guys, go get the copy of the Beast. Uh, it's well worth it. 267 pages. Every prospect in the NFL draft. Make yourself smarter about football. I hope you got smarter with this episode. As always, the goal. Jeff Schwartz is smarter than you with, with Dane Brugler. Glad to have him join us today. Uh, please rate, review, subscribe. We're getting close to the draft. It's a lot of fun, man. It's a great time of year for the NFL for drafting.
for your team to better themselves through this process. Have a great weekend, everyone. Talk to you guys next week. Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.